I'm Ted Burnham. And I'm Jane Palmer. This is How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. Today is Tuesday, September the 16th, 2014. Coming up on today's show, we have hydrologist Mark Williams to talk about the importance of testing water quality in Colorado, China, and anywhere where oil and gas drilling is happening nearby. with a look at some of the recent news in science. Scientists with the U.S. Geological Survey have announced that wastewater injection is the main reason for a dramatic rise in Colorado earthquakes. They point out that the Raton Basin, which stretches from southern Colorado into northern New Mexico, was seismically quiet until shortly after coal bed methane production began in 1999. Mineral extraction creates a lot of wastewater, and it's long been a common practice to dispose of that water by injecting it back into the ground in wastewater wells. This process increases pressure and lubrication around fault lines, and that means earthquakes. Since the year 2001, the Raton Basin has experienced 16 quakes that were magnitude 3.8 or higher, including two of magnitude 5 or higher. That compares to only one quake in the previous 30 years. Hydraulic fracturing is also increasing in the Raton Basin area, but the scientists report that most of the earthquakes are happening within three miles of wastewater injection wells, so they believe it's the wastewater injections, rather than the hydraulic fracturing itself, that triggers the tremors. The study is online today in the Bulletin of the Seismological Society of America. Do you want to get up close and personal with some amazing natural history specimens and see them in a whole new light? You could do that by drawing them. To learn the nuts and bolts of scientific drawing, you can attend the Drop-In Scientific Illustration Workshop on Friday, September the 19th from 2 to 5 p.m. at the University of Colorado's Museum of Natural History. You'll be able to visit any time that afternoon and take a close look at your specimens through the microscope before documenting and drawing every detail. You'll also learn how to interpret scientific aspects of your biological subjects and highlight these features in a way that no camera can really capture them. To help you and your scientific to, to help you in your illustrative endeavours will be the workshop leader, Dr. Mervy Helmuz-Koski, who serves as a manager of the School of Botanical Art and Illustration at Denver Botanical Gardens. You're tuned in to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Jane Palmer. What exactly is in our water? The stuff we drink, shower in, use to wash our vegetables? This is a question a lot of Coloradans have started to ask in the last few years as oil and gas operations have ramped up in the state. Several communities have become very concerned on how nearby drilling operations might be adversely affecting the quality of their water supply. We've seen the videos of people living near to fracking wells, lighting their tap water, and we've heard the stories about the possible health impacts. But how much of this is anti-fracking dramatisation, and how much is there really to be concerned about? 
How much is energy development in Colorado affecting the water supply? And how can we, that is Jane and Joe Public, find out the vital statistics of our water quality? Here to talk to us today and answer some of those questions is hydrologist Mark Williams from the University of Colorado. Mark is the co-founder of the Colorado Water and Energy Research Center, and he's conducted projects around the states looking at impacts of energy operations on both water and air quality. He's also just returned from a joint U.S. and Chinese workshop where he co-chaired a session on the impacts of natural gas development on water and air resources. Welcome, Mark. Glad to be here. Thank you. So first of all, about this workshop that you just went to, um, what really was the focus of it? Um, you know, the focus really was on uh, the nexus of energy, water, climate change, and air pollution. And the agenda really was uh, driven by the Chinese. So there, people are quite aware, I think, of um, a lot of the air pollution problems in China. People are less aware of the uh, water pollution problems in China, but they're of a similar magnitude. And so the Chinese are looking for strategies to combat those uh, water and air pollution problems, and they're looking to Americans to, to help them out on that. Okay. And um, are, they, are, are they looking to expand more into natural gas then as to, to solve with some of these problems or...? Yeah, and here's a clear-cut case where uh, switching from coal-fired power plants to natural gas is going to have very beneficial effects in terms of uh, air quality and water quality. So the next 10 years, there's just going to be a huge explosion of uh, natural gas extraction uh, in China. But won't that take quite a lot of water? I always think of China as being somewhere that's quite water-scarce. Oh, man, China is water scarce. I have some other projects, too, and looking at disappearing uh, Himalayan glaciers and water security in high Asia. And all the major rivers in high Asia originate in Tibet, which is now part of China. You know, the Brahmaputra, the Ganges, uh, uh, the Indus. And everybody is worried about China taking water from those rivers, uh, which started in China, uh, to other parts of China. And China just finished the biggest... Um, aqueduct in history that's moving water from southern China, where there's more water and less people, to northern China, where Beijing is, and there's more people because they're water limited. So they're quite concerned about um, uh, water and fracking. And also in China, which I didn't know until I went to this workshop, there is no uh, uh, deep well water disposal in China. Uh, and you had just mentioned... Uh, on the lead-in here that uh, in Rattan Basin, there's more earthquakes uh, because of deep well injection, uh, which is absolutely true. In China, because of that problem, they're actually forbidden to do uh, deep well injection. So one of the things that we highlighted uh, in this workshop with the work that Americans are doing and people on one of the projects that I'm involved in are doing on uh, reusing and recycling uh, um, produced water from oil and gas extraction. Okay, interesting, because I still think of maybe oil and gas as using more water than coal even, because you have these closed-loop systems in coal. So is there a lot of research being done on that anyway? Yeah, you know, the win-win situation is to uh, recycle and reuse uh, the water uh, that uh, we get from uh, production of oil and gas wells. So to remind uh, viewers, in Colorado in general, it takes somewhere between 3 million to 5 million gallons of water to frack a well, 
which is a you know a large amount. But that's still with all the fifty thousand wells in Colorado, that's only one tenth of one percent of the water use in Colorado. And then once the well is fracked, you have to remove the water in that rock formation to get the oil and gas. And that water is almost always polluted in one way or another. And so you have to dispose of it. And the preferred method right now is deep injection, which, as we heard earlier, can cause things like earthquakes. And so the best uh, use or the best approach is to uh, recycle, treat, and reuse that water that went into fracking so that there's no net consumption of water and we don't have to do uh, deep well disposal. Great. And where are those projects now? Are there any in place or are there people just still investigating, reusing it? Or how much energy does it cost to reuse your water? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it does cost energy. It does cost production. We know how to do it. It's, the problem really is not uh, how to do it. It's scaling. We can do it in the lab. We can do it on small projects. But to do it at the functional scale of 50,000 wells, it's not, uh, the cost is too high right now. And so somehow we, we need to uh, adjust that cost factor and put in the, the true cost of disposing of that water into our oil and gas costs. Right. And that, that's very interesting. And then that changes the whole model, doesn't it? Because we don't use as much water and we're not inflicting potential water pollution. You're going to tell us more about that on other people. And... Um, so the Chinese in particular, they're interested in fracking because they'll cut down on some of their air and water issues. Um, what would be your takeaway message? What was your takeaway message for them? If they're thinking of moving towards fracking and they're looking in at more fracking in their energy portfolio and, and you don't want them to, say, suffer some of the issues that we've suffered in the northern United States. Yeah, so we had some long conversations and where we thought we could really help the Chinese and, and just to um, step back for a minute, the Chinese are really good technicians. They're very good engineers. They're very good at math. They're very good at coming up with technical solutions. And where the Chinese are right now is where we were 30 years ago in, in terms of fracking. So we've learned a lot of lessons. And one of those lessons that we learned is that baseline monitoring is a way to go if you're worried about uh, impacts on water quality and air quality. And so what we've come up with in terms of the Chinese is that we're going to work together with us helping them devise monitoring plans to generate that baseline data to make sure that they're drilling in a safe and efficient manner. Okay, so it's, it's quite a quick feedback system. How quick is that feedback system? How quick are you? Are you going out and you're testing the water to start with and then you're testing it within six months and then you can see almost how quickly do you see the impacts when you see them in baseline water testing? Well, the question is, are there impacts? And one of the reasons that we need to do baseline monitoring is to see if there's impacts. And in a lot of cases, there are not impacts. And that's important for people to know. And what happens with oil and gas is that there's been this kind of uh, hysteria about potential water quality contamination, contamination of domestic wells. And uh, here in Colorado, I think there's about 160,000 domestic wells in Boulder County alone, uh, there's about 6,000 uh, domestic wells. And, and people are rightly concerned about potential pollution and contamination of those wells. Uh, in Pennsylvania, the Marcellus Shale, we, we have seen contamination of domestic wells from unconventional oil and gas extraction. 
people don't understand where groundwater comes from. They don't understand what uh, controls the water quality of this underground water. You know, it's it's a, a big mystery. And and so when people say it can get contaminated, people get worried. And they actually should because there is potential, uh, the potential for contamination. But in most cases, there isn't contamination. And so by doing baseline sampling before and after unconventional oil and gas extraction is occurring in your area, you can tell if there's been impacts or if there haven't been impacts. And again, in most cases, not in all cases, but in most cases, most likely there will not be impacts. Interesting. You know, because, I mean, we've seen the, the movies of people lighting their tap water <clears throat> uh, near oil and gas wells. I mean, that's, that seems pretty concerning to me. Yeah. <laughs> and the first time I saw it, I was, man, my eyes just lit. I was like, what? I can't believe that's happening. And, and it actually is happening. Uh, and what they're lighting is methane. And one thing to remember is methane is actually not a contaminant. There are, there are no human health effects from methane, except, of course, if concentrations get too high and you blow up your house. Right. right? That, that's not a good thing. <laughs> and, um, okay, you're listening to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Jane Palmer, and we're talking with hydrologist Mark Williams about the importance of testing water quality in Colorado, China, and anywhere where oil and gas is drilling nearby. But I say that, but you have not just done baseline water testing for the oil and gas industry. You've also done it in San Miguel County in Colorado, haven't you? And that was a uranium mill, wasn't it? Yes, and this is the uh, uh, the first uranium mill that's been permitted in the United States in the last 25 years. And that's over in uh, Uravan, which is outside of San Miguel County. But uh, dust and wind and air it, uh, moves over to San Miguel County. And one of, the things, one of the other things that I do as a hydrologist is I study dust on snow because dust on snow uh, can make snow melt faster, change our hydrologic cycle, uh, timing and uh, amount of snow melt. And what you see now in uh, Telluride and other places is a lot of dust on snow. And what is going to happen with that uranium mill is people go, a uranium mill puts out dust. There's dust on the snow that I see when I'm skiing. That dust is radioactive. People get worried. They don't show up. And yeah. there's an economic cost, I mean, a very large one. And so what I've been doing is working with San Miguel County and with the EPA to come up with baseline testing, background concentrations of uh, that dust, of the water, the groundwater, surface water, to see what the radioactive content may be today, in part because uh, uranium mining has been going on in the past uh, at uh, huge amount. There have been huge amounts of uh, uranium mining in the past. There's natural uranium ore in the Telluride uh, uh, area, and so there's potential for high background concentrations today, even before the mill starts operational. So we've been testing that uh, dust. We've been testing the snow. We've been testing the groundwater to see what radionuclides are there. Wow! How long have you been doing that for? We've been doing it for three years. And the good news is um, all the tests have come back negative. That is, all uh, the content, the concentration of the radionuclides is uh, below any uh, concern levels. Great. And you're not sponsored by Telluride Ski Resort at all, are you? Uh, uh, 
you know who's paying for this is San Miguel County. Right. But, <laughs> but we have had conversations with the ski resorts and others because yes. they're really concerned about it. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, basically, if you get this dust as well, you're, you're not going to get as much snowpack, are you? Because it's going to melt quicker. And, and that's, yeah, Tom Painter and others have done some really nice work on looking at that. Um, so, yeah, so that's one aspect of it where there's ongoing research. I'm doing some of that research, similar research in, uh, in the Himalayas, actually. But this other concern is what, what is in the dust? Uh, you know, is it radioactive? Things of that nature. Right. And dust does seem to be increasing. We don't actually know why. Right. So you've never done any tests near Rocky Mountain Flats, have you, to see if there's any light <laughs> contaminants? Because I kind of live near there. I've often thought about it, and I own a well. So. Uh, I, I, I have some stories about that if you want to get to it. But, yeah, there's been some work done. I've worked with those people. And, and yeah, I have worked there. Um, what did you find? That's one of my two heads asking you that question. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you well, this is moving down a different road. But um, what's happened is there's, there were huge spills. Of pad, I can't remember the name of the pad, 699 or something, for about 10 years. Yeah. Uh, because when they first started production, they didn't know how to dispose of the machine oil, which is radioactive. So they just put it in 55-gallon barrels on a pad for 10 years. Then they figured out how to dispose of it. They then picked up the barrels. A lot of them had rotted and leaked. They put holes through them with the forklifts when they picked them up. So there's a huge spill there. The good news is plutonium and radionuclides like that absorb really strongly to soils, yeah. so they don't move very much. But it's completely polluted there. There was a move to make that area an, uh, a park. Yeah, that's what I heard. You don't want to do that. I would never send, go out there myself or with my kids because that a big chunk of that area, there's radionuclides, very uh, you know, health problems in the top five centimeters of soil. Wow. And we saw it become mobile once, and that was 1995, if people remember, a very big uh, snow season and a late snow season on the Front Range. And that's what can cause it to move is lots and lots of water through that soil where we know there's uh, a lot of plutonium. Oh, wow. And not last year when we had the big floods? That would do it. Oh. I don't think anybody was testing. Oh, oh. It's got, it got a little too controversial, and people testing the water this is a whole new project yeah you so. know <laughs> well, that's something the usgs can do or somebody like that yeah. oh and a whole new story so <laughs> for the people who um you know i mean for the average jane and joe public who have a well what do you what do you do for testing water i mean you know you're not going around to everybody's house and doing their baseline water testing you've produced a guide haven't you yeah and the reason we did that is when oil and gas unconventional oil and gas extraction started to crank up a couple of years ago and move from rural areas to more suburban areas where people live, uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And I'll say it was from both sides of the aisle, oil and gas industry saying there's never been a problem. That's not true. Uh, people on the other side of the aisle saying you're going to die because there's a thousand contaminants in the water. That's not true. There's It's something in the middle. And so people were calling CU to get hopefully unbiased information. And so CU administrators came to myself and Joe Ryan and asked us to start the center, the Colorado Water Energy Research Center, Quirk, because of these concerns. And the number one piece of advice we had for people who had these domestic wells, 6,000 Boulder County, 150 or 60,000 through the state, is that they get baseline data. 
There have been a number of cases where people have thought that their wells were contaminated after oil and gas uh, uh, extraction occurred. Their wells were tested. They found uh, high levels of VOCs or things of that nature, benzene, that were of concern. And the oil and gas industry just went, it was always like that. And there's nothing you can say. You need to have baseline data, which means that you collect a water sample and have it analyzed for uh, analytes, chemical concentrations of concern before the fracking starts, and then uh, collect additional samples after fracking so you can see if there's a change in water quality. Okay. But for some of these people, it'll be too late, won't it? Um, I mean, surely, you know, they've drilling's already started. And uh, it still helps if you take multiple samples over time because you, you can see if the concentrations of things that we're worried about, like benzene, change over time. Oh, so it's not too late. Anyone out there has got a well. Uh, the guide is going to be on the KGNU How on Earth website for downloads. And there's more information about how to go and test your well water. Um, in your opinion, uh, is, is oil and gas development worth it with all these, you know, air quality issues? Well, you know, the main thing is we all use energy. Um, I used to have a Prius, um, and we try and conserve, but we all use a lot of energy. And so one way or another, unless we, uh, stop using energy, we have to come up with ways of giving that energy to people. And I will say, uh, Natural gas, whether it's a bridge fuel or not, in terms of greenhouse gas emissions, and that's actually unclear at this point, it's still much better than coal uh, because of changes of air quality. And in particular in China, uh, the change in air quality will be dramatic. There will be less OX emissions, less NOx emissions. Here in Colorado, a lot of people don't realize this, but every one of our major reservoirs has a mercury advisory for fish. And uh, because of contamination from mercury, and that's all from coal-fired power plants. So we're going to, if nothing else, increase the quality of our air in general by switching to natural gas. Thank you very much, Mark. That was hydrologist Mark Williams talking about the importance of testing water quality in Colorado, China, and anywhere where there's energy production nearby. Mm -hmm. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. This week's show was produced by my co-host, Jane Palmer, and I engineered. Our executive producer is Joel Parker. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music was by the Dave Matthews Band. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Jane Palmer. And I'm Ted Burnham. This program is supported by you, the KGNU listener member, and by Independent Power Systems, a locally owned solar electric integrator located in North Boulder and serving the entire front range. Independent Power Systems offers electric system design and installation for your home, business, or commercial building project. 
Independent Power Systems is a SunPower Elite dealer and offers the SunPower Solar Lease. Details can be found at solarips.com or by calling 303-443-0115.